right, glad to see you guys came back. So I want to talk with you this afternoon. <clears throat> I've titled this message, The Interconnectedness of Critical Race Theory and Marxism. The Interconnectedness of Critical Race Theory and Marxism. And the reason I titled it that is one of the, uh, one of the many lies that you'll hear from critical race theorists is that it has nothing to do with Marxism. That's one of the first lies I heard, was that it has nothing to do with Marxism. Uh, but I'm going to take just a few minutes this afternoon to disprove that and to prove to you that it has everything to do with Marxism. Um, so that's why I've titled the message that way. And when it comes to understanding critical race theory, what you and I must initially realize is that critical race theory, or CRT, is not some kind of big bang proposition. And what I mean by that is that critical race theory as a worldview is not a belief system that has come about ex nihilo. Ex nihilo is a Latin phrase that means out of nowhere or out of nothing. CRT is not a worldview that just came out of nowhere. Critical race theory has a definitive genesis, and that genesis begins with a worldview that was originally advanced by two 19th century German philosophers whose names were Karl Marx, who lived from 1818 to 1883, and Friedrich Engels, who lived from 1820 to 1895, and that worldview is commonly referred to today as Marxism. There is an ideological umbilical cord, if you will, that inexorably connects critical race theory with Marxism. That connection is a mutual disdain of and contempt for capitalism. Like Marxism, critical race theory views capitalism as the fundamental cause of racism in America. That's because in critical race theory, capitalism is what breeds white supremacy. And it is white supremacy that critical race theorists or crits, as they are often referred to, purportedly desire to dismantle in society. And let me just pause right here and say that one of the primary evidences of, of, of what I'm asserting here that in critical race theory, capitalism is fundamentally the enemy is because in, in the mind of every critical race theorist, the solution to the injustice and inequality that they argue exists in America is always material. It's always more money, more power, more property, which is ironic because they see capitalism as the enemy. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more here in a second. But it's, it's just interesting to me for, some, for people who have such a disdain and even hatred for capitalism, that if it weren't for capitalism, they would never. So like Marxism, critical race theory is fundamentally a philosophy of class struggle. Do not forget that. Critical race theory has many things in, in common with, with Marxism. Fundamentally is, is the fact that critical race theory is like Marxism, a philosophy of class struggle in which the oppression, injustice, and inequality of capitalism must be replaced with a more just, equitable, and inclusive system, namely socialism. Marxist professor Dr. Epifiano San Juan Jr., you're going to hear me quote from him multiple times, and the reason I'm going to quote from Dr. San Juan so often is that he's one of the few Marxist critical race theory theorists that is saying the quiet part out loud. 
Dr. San Juan Jr. expresses that vision, that vision being the fact that <clears throat> the goal of critical race theory is to replace capitalism with socialism. Dr. San Juan expresses that openly in a 2005 white paper published in the Michigan Journal of Race and Law titled From Race to Class Struggle, subtitled Reproblematizing Critical Race Theory, in which he says this, quote, a study of racist practices and institutions divorced from the underlying determined structure of capital accumulation and class rule, which allow such practices and institutions to exercise their naturalizing force, can only perpetuate an abstract metaphysics of race and a discourse of power that would reinforce the continuing reification or commodification of human relations in everyday life. Now, let me pause in, the, in this quote. I warned you earlier that you're going to hear some of the most nonsensical, multisyllabic gibberish that you've ever heard. This is the first example. This is what they do. This is what crits do. They've got these doctorates in education. They've got these PhDs in, educations, in education. And what they do is they write for their peers. I can't even explain to you what I just read. But again, I'm from the Michael Corleone School of Apologetics, and I want you to hear what these people believe. Continuing with this quote from Dr. Epifiano San Juan. We cannot multiply static determinations in an atomistic manner and at the same time acquire an intelligible totality of knowledge which we need for formulating strategies of radical social transformation. A first step in this project of renewing critical race theory is simple to state, but difficult to execute. Don't miss this. Begin with the concept of class as an antagonistic relation between labor and capital, and then proceed to analyze or criticize how the determinant of race is played out historically in the class-conflicted structure of capitalism and its political and ideological processes of class rule, unquote. Finally made it through that. What, what Dr. San Juan is arguing is that we need to find, now no, understand this, he, he titled his paper, subtitled his paper, Reproblematizing Critical Race Theory. That is no accident. This is what critical race theory does. It reproblematizes everything. I said this morning earlier that the goal of critical race theory is to resurrect history and re-prosecute that history in the present day. This is exactly what Dr. San Juan is arguing. We have to reproblematize these things. So what you'll see, well, we're, we're right now in the, in the early part of Black History Month. And what you're going to see is people posting on social media photos of Rosa Parks sitting on the bus, photos of Dr. Martin Luther King on the Edmund Pettus Bridge getting attacked by German shepherds, photos of uh, uh, a Brown versus Board of Education and black children not being able to, uh, not being allowed into public schools. This is the 1950s and 1960s that this occurred, but they're reproblematizing these issues. They're giving them new life. That's what I mean by when I say resurrecting these problems. They're giving them new life, and they're reproblematizing them as if these are still issue, issues only for black people now in the present day. That's what he means when he says we need to reproblematize this. 
we need to find a way to renew critical race theory within the paradigm of Marxism by using the Marxist principle of class struggle. Dr. Sam Warren is unambiguously emphatic that in order for critical race theory to be most advantageous toward achieving the, quote, radical social transformation, unquote, that he and others who share his worldview envision, it must be posited in such a way as to mirror the foremost principle upon which Marxism is built, namely the idea of class as an antagonistic relation between labor and capital. This is why you're seeing now in many public schools, in many cities across America, where critical race theory is now a battleground issue. You've got black kids being pitted against white kids. You've got <clears throat> black teachers being pitted against white teachers. This is that antagonistic class struggle that people like Dr. Epifiano San Juan want to see happen. It's pitting the haves against the have-nots, or what Marx would refer to as the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie. It is that same ideological interconnectedness that is expressed in a June 15th 2020 article on the website marxism.com. Did you know there was a website called marxism.com? <laughs> marxism.com, there's an article titled USA colon, Black Struggle and the Socialist Revolution, which states this, quote, the struggle against racism and discrimination is of crucial importance for revolutionary Marxists. Now let me pause right here. This is why you have to know your history. Here we have from the website marxism.com, in an article, and they are lauding the fact that, it's not a fact, I'm going to tell you why in a second, but they are asserting that the struggle against racism and discrimination is of crucial importance to revolutionary Marxists. Let me tell you something. Racism has never been important to Marxists. Marx was a racist. Marx was a Jewish, German, Argentine who hated Jews. He hated Jews. He hated every other ethnic minority. He hated black people. He hated Asians. You name it, he hated them. So for this website to assert that they've had some sort of historical relationship to fighting against racial discrimination is a lie. Let me continue with the quote. The struggle against racism and discrimination is of crucial importance for revolutionary Marxists. We fight at all times against all forms of oppression and discrimination. Lie. But we do this while fighting for maximum unity of the working class across lines of gender, race, ethnicity, and religion, always linking this to the struggle for the revolutionary socialist transformation of society. Lie. There is no solution within the limits of capitalism. Did you hear that? There is no solution within the limits of capitalism. Still quoting, it is above all a class question. And as always, we start with our general program. Our task as Marxists is to raise class unity, consciousness, and confidence. We do not fight only for immediate gains, but also to raise the perspective and potential for plenty of jobs, health care, housing, and education for all under socialism. We do not merely seek a, quote, more fair, unquote, division of capitalist scarcity, lie. United class struggle is the only way forward, unquote. Now, for them to say here, we do not merely seek a more fair division of capitalist scarcity, that's a lie. Marxism steals. 
It doesn't fairly divide anything. Marxism steals. It's, it's theft at its heart. Tens of millions of people have been murdered under Marxist rule. So for them to say we do not seek a, you never sought a more fair division of capitalist scarcity. Scarcity is capitalist scarcity. They steal. That scarcity is what drives them to steal, what they describe as scarcity. Now the assertion that it is above all a class question cannot be overemphasized because like Marxism, critical race theory is fundamentally a philosophy of class struggle. It is vitally important that you remember that. It's important because in critical race theory, please hear me on this, in critical race theory, race is fundamentally a social construct. It is a social construct. Critical race theory does not see or define race as a fixed, immutable, and static aspect of one's personhood that is grounded in biology or science, or for that matter, theology, as we talked about this morning from Acts 17, 26, which I'll read again. That verse says, and he, that is God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. And again, I'll remind you that that Greek noun nation is the Greek word, that word nation is the Greek noun ethnos, from where we get the word ethnicity. But that critical race theory views race as a social construct is crucial for you to understand because to understand that is to also understand why critical race theory, not unlike Marxism itself, emphasizes the deconstruction of social institutions, social institutions and structures which purportedly exist solely to oppress different intersectional classes of people such as blacks, Latinx, LGBTQ, A2S. Have you, have you seen the latest iteration of that uh, sequence of characters there that, where they add the 2S to the end? The, the 2S stands for two-spirited, people who are two-spirited. So you've got lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, queer. I forgot what the A is. The 2S, though, is two, people who identify as two-spirited. Immigrants, transgenders, and various other intersectional categories of people whose oppression is firmly rooted in the greed and avarice, according to them, of white supremacist capitalists. Viewing race, listen to me here, viewing race as a biological or scientific reality and viewing racism as a spiritual problem rooted in the human condition as opposed to a subjective social construct doesn't achieve for critical race theorists the Marxist eschaton that they desire for the world. Now, what do I mean by that when I use the term eschaton? This is what I said earlier where I'm talking about critical race theory being a, a worldview. Critical race theory is eschatological in that it seeks to, br to end the current culture and bring in a new one. So eschatology is not just the end of something, it's the end of something and the beginning of something else. That is precisely why I argue that critical race theory is an all-encompassing worldview. You have to understand this. So when people, when crits go on television and they'll say, well, critical race theory is not being taught in public schools. Yes, it is. Critical race theory is a stealth worldview. It's not just about teaching history. Don't believe that when you hear a crit come on television and say, well, this is about teaching black history. This is about teaching history. No, it's not. This is about teaching an entire worldview 
This is an eschatology. This is a religion with an eschatology, a theology, and a soteriology all built into one that they're trying to introduce, first of all, into the minds of your children so that your children can rebel against you because that's what they want. I say that critical race theory is an all-encompassing worldview, and I say that in light of what Dr. Epifiano San Juan Jr., again, who I quoted earlier, he writes this in a 2005 white paper, in that same white paper that I quoted from earlier, from race to class struggle, reproblematizing critical race theory. And again, here, here is where Dr. Epifiano San Juan is saying the quiet part out loud. Quote, we need to reinstate the Marxist category of class derived from the social division of labor that generates antagonistic class relations. Now, listen closely to what he said here. We need to reinstate the Marxist category of class. Why? In order to generate antagonistic class relations. Antagonistic class relations, that's just a fancy way of saying we need these groups of people that we're dividing to go after each other. He wants antagonism. We need to re-problematize critical race theory in such a way that it brings about antagonism between these classes of people. <coughs> Continuing with, to quote Dr. San Juan, class conflicts becomes the key to grasping the totality of social relations of production as well as the metabolic process of social reproduction in which racism finds its effectivity. This will help us clarify the changing modes of racist practices, especially in global market operations where immigrant female labor plays a decisive role. I use the example of Filipino domestics as a global social class actualized in its specific historical particularity as gendered, neo-colonized subjects of capital accumulation. So what he's arguing here in using the example of, of, of female Filipina domestic workers, he's, he's, he's arguing here that those Filipino female domestic workers work only for white people as slaves to white people as property. He classifies them as um, uh, gendered, neo-colonized subjects of capital accumulation. Then he closes with this. Critical race theory can be renewed by adopting class struggle as the means of resolving racial injustice through radical structural transformation, unquote. Now, please note that such wording as antagonistic class relations, class conflict, and radical structural transformation is classic Marxist vernacular and that accurately captures the teleology or the purpose of critical race theory, which is to pit various classes of people against one another particularly with regard to any socioeconomic distinctions that may exist between them for the sole purpose of fostering antagonistic class relations toward the ultimate goal of radical structural transformation. Now, whenever you hear that term, radical structural transformation, just translate that Marxism. Just translate that Marxism. That goal of radical structural transformation. That goal is precisely why statistics, particularly certain socio-ethnic economic data, are such valuable weapons for crits. Crits subjectively use statistics as a means to, 
form and propagate the misleading narrative that any socioeconomic differences that may exist, particularly among blacks and whites in America, are actually disparities. And that those disparities are solely the direct result of inequities brought about in society by an oppressive capitalistic system that is grounded in white hegemony or in white power. A prime example of that kind of subjective narratology can be found in a book which perhaps many of you have read, titled Divided by Faith, co-authored by Michael O. Emerson and Christian Smith that was originally published more than 20 years ago. That book is full of statistical data that uses numbers to subjectively sort of argue for the fact that these differences between socioeconomic classes of people, especially as they are divided by ethnicity, are actually disparities. But listen to me here, listen closely. To view something as a disparity, which in reality is merely a difference or a distinction, presupposes the existence of a universal standard of material equality wherein each of us starts out in life with the same type and amount of stuff. And that for black people especially, to not be able to acquire more of that stuff is somehow and solely the fault of systemically discriminatory policies and practices that adversely affect and impact every black person in precisely the same way. So what I'm arguing here is that not every difference is a disparity. Some differences are just differences. For something to be a disparity, it has to start, there has to be a universal, equitable starting point where you and I start off with the same amount of stuff under the same rules and that over time somehow somebody broke the rules. But that's not life. That's not life. This is why I say equality is a myth. The universal principle of reaping and sowing applies to everyone. If I make a good decision, chances are I'm going to reap the fruits of that. But also, if I make bad decisions, I'm going to reap the fruit of that. Not every difference is a disparity. This, again, is why you have to pay attention to the language. You must pay attention to the vernacular. Some differences are just differences. Rightly did economist and author Thomas Sowell say in his book titled Discrimination and Disparities that, quote, The crucial question is not whether evils exist, but whether the evils of the past or present are automatically the cause of major economic, educational, and other social disparities today. The bedrock assumption underlying many political or ideological crusades is that socioeconomic disparities are automatically somebody's fault, so that our choices are either to blame society or to blame the victim. Discrimination as an explanation of economic and social disparities may have a similar emotional appeal for many, but we can at least try to treat these and other theories as testable hypotheses. The historical consequences of treating particular beliefs as sacred dogmas beyond the reach of evidence or logic should be enough to dissuade us from going down that road again. Despite how exciting or emotionally satisfying political dogmas and the crusades resulting from those dogmas can be, or how convenient in sparing us the drudgery and discomfort of having to think through our own beliefs or test them against facts, unquote. This is, this is a, a, a common tool among crits. 
they 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 make their assertions but restrict you from from challenging them to prove them this is exactly what Saul is talking about they use narrative and stories Phil this morning explained and was talking about epistemology so what they do is they use their own personal epistemology unprovable okay unprovable they can just say well I was discriminated against I was pulled over by this police officer by this white police officer and this police officer said this he did that unprovable you don't need to prove it the narrative alone is enough because if you challenge them to demonstrate proof of that you're automatically racist so crits rely on you keeping your mouth shut because who wants to be called a racist? So it's all about the narrative. It's all about the narrative. The idea of socioeconomic equality, particularly as that idea is framed within a Marxian paradigm of what equality should look like, is precisely why Dr. Epifiano San Juan Jr. again can make such nonsensical statements as the one I'm about to quote to you which is from an article he wrote titled The Limits of Postcolonial Criticism, The Discourse of Edward Said. In that article, Dr. San Juan said this. Now listen, listen to this. Quote, capital ethnicizes people to promote labor segmentation, hybridity, and other different differential phenomena result, unquote. Capital, capital ethnicizes people, he said. In other words, according to Dr. San Juan anyway, it is capitalism that is solely responsible for any societal acrimony that exists in America today, particularly between blacks and whites. Capitalism is his enemy. Let me just break this down and make it even simpler. What he is arguing is the fact that you white people have stuff, that's the problem. That's the problem. You guys shouldn't, you should give up your stuff. And you should give the stuff to pe- your stuff to people who look like me. That's essentially what he's arguing. Because in order for you white people to hold on to your stuff, that is what breeds your prejudices within you. So in order to relieve, your, relieve yourself of your unconscious bias, you need to free yourself of your possessions and give those possessions up to people who look like me. By the way, it may interest you to know that neither socialism nor Marxism, for that matter, as ideological roadmaps to societal equity are foreign to the idea of social justice for blacks in America. They're not strange bedfellows. Black protests in America has always been bedfellows with socialists and Marxists. For example, in a speech delivered to a group of striking railroad workers on July 22, 1877, a black socialist by the name of Peter Humphreys Clark, who at that time was principal of was known as the Colored High School in Cincinnati, Ohio, and was grandson of William Clark of the Lewis, Clark, Lewis and Clark Expedition, said this, quote, The government must control capital with a strong hand. It is merely the accumulated results of industry, and there would be no justice should a few score bees in the hive take possession of the store of honey and dole it out to the workers in return for services which added to their superabundant store. Yet, such is the custom of society. Machinery and land will, in time, take the same course. 
and cooperation instead of competition. That's just a fancy way of him saying socialism instead of capitalism will be the law of society. The miserable condition into which society has fallen has but one remedy, and that remedy is to be found in socialism, unquote. Now, contrary to what many may seem, what, what may seem to be the reality on the sociocultural surface, not all black people view socialism and Marxism in the same way as Peter Humphreys Clark. For example, Dr. Chulwi Mbetwa sees socialism quite differently as he asserts in his book titled Why Africa is Poor. In that book, Why Africa is Poor, Dr. Mbetwa says this, quote, Socialism is not adept at finding solutions to serious problems. Its emphasis on collective responsibility over and above individual responsibility rolls over lingering individual capacity to configure self-extricating measures out of crises. In the long term, socialism robs individuals of the opportunity to acquire skills for personal emancipation. Socialism struggles when it attempts to function as a propeller of wealth, unquote. Now, I think Dr. Mbetwa nails it there. And the irony of Marxism, <clears throat> the irony of Marxism, and, and it's the same with social, socialism, is that they, they are ideologies that promise to level the playing field, okay? But in order, to, in order to level the playing field, it always takes people to a lower standard. It never raises anyone up. It never raises anyone up. And have you ever considered that when you really think about what Marxism and socialism are, they really need capitalism in order to work? Where are you going to get this stuff from? Where are you going to get the stuff that you're going to steal and give to other people? Where is that going to come from? You need capitalism. Otherwise, there's nothing to take. There's nothing to steal. Now, I've spoken to this point about the ideological connectedness between critical race theory and Marxism, but there's a, I just wanted you to understand the first half of my message that there is an umbilical cord, as I said, between critical race theory and Marxism. That umbilical cord does exist. So if someone, if a crit comes to you and says, no, critical race theory has nothing to do with Marxism, they're lying. They're lying. So I've spoken to you about the ideological connections between critical race theory and Marxism, but there's a chronological connection as well, which I alluded to earlier, and that chronology begins with what is known as critical theory, or CT. Okay, critical theory, or CT. Critical theory provides a specific interpretation of Marxist philosophy with regard to a critique of mass culture, okay? Also known as the Frankfurt School, you may have heard it termed that way. Also known as the Frankfurt School, critical theory is a philosophical and sociological movement spread across many universities around the world. It was originally located at the Institute for Social Research at the Goethe University in Frankfurt, Germany, hence why it's called the Frankfurt School. The institute was founded in 1923 by a wealthy German Jewish Argentine by the name of Felix Weil. The last name is W-E-I-L. Weil's goal in developing the Institute for Social Research was to spread Marxist studies throughout Germany, to apply Marxist principles throughout Germany. But then the Nazis interrupted that. 
And after 1933, when the Nazis forced the closure of the Institute for Social Research, it was moved to the United States, where it found hospitality at Columbia University in New York City. The Institute for Social Research, as I stand here today, is still housed at Columbia University in New York City. If you do research on Columbia University, do a search on Columbia University and communism. You will see a list of, alum of communists who have graduated from that institution. Columbia University is the home of communism in America over decades. So we have CT. So I'm taking you on a chronological progression on how we got to CRT. So you start with CT in the 1930s in Germany with the Marxism of Felix Wilde and the Institute of Social Re for Social Research. And from the Institute for Social Research, seven, uh, several decades later in the 1970s, the Institute gave rise to a movement known as Critical Legal Studies, or CLS. So we go from CT to CLS. Now, as a movement, CLS was comprised predominantly of white neo-Marxist legal scholars who sought to study the impacts of legal jurisprudence in America, but through a Marxian construct of justice and equality. It was the CLS movement that initiated it. This is very important. It was a CLS movement that initiated a shift from Marxism being a fundamentally a philosophy of economic class struggle, which is what it was in the 1930s. It was all about economic class struggles. But the CLS movement in sort of shifted that paradigm to where it became not an economic class struggle, but an identity struggle. Identity class struggle. Okay? So now we're not dealing with economic class struggle. We're dealing with Identity struggle, which shifts it from economic Marxism to what I call cultural Marxism or identity Marxism. That's what critical race theory is fundamentally, is identity Marxism. From the CLS movement in the 1970s arose what is known today as critical race theory. So we go from CT to CLS, now we have CRT. Similar to the CLS movement, the CRT movement began with a group of black neo-Marxist legal scholars who met at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in the summer of 1989 with the belief that their predecessors in the CLS movement didn't move the dial far enough to the left for black people in America. In other words, Crits didn't see the CLS movement as being radical enough. So they endeavored to re-problematize re those issues under critical race theory. And one thing I neglected to say is the word critical in critical race theory does not mean analytical. It doesn't mean to critique. It means to criticize. It means to criticize. Critical race theory fundamentally is an ideology of criticizing everything. I've said on social media multiple times, critical race theory is after every single aspect of your life. It wants to destroy your way of life as you know it now. It started in upper academia, postgraduate, doctoral level. Now it's in K through 12. It gets into the minds of your children. As their minds are transformed, they bring that into your home. Next thing you know, you've got antagonistic class struggle right within the four walls of your home. You multiply that by their peers who believe that? Then it begins to affect your community. 
your neighborhood, your school, your church. Dr. Daniel Subotnik, professor of law at Truro College of Law in Central Iceland, New York, and author of the book Toxic Diversity, subtitled Race, Gender, and Law Talk in America, writes this in a white paper published at the Cornell University Journal of Law and Public Policy in the spring of 1998. That white paper was titled, What's Wrong with Critical Race Theory? Subtitled, Reopening the Case for Middle Class Values. In that paper, Dr. Daniel Slobotnik said this, quote, with control of race discourse in their hands, crits turned their attention away from the legal academy and toward American culture in general. And this they have done with enthusiasm, developing and then applying new methods for the purpose and scouring the broad landscape of American life. They have found race and racism implicated in a terrifying array of institutions and practices. Whites then stand accused and have remained largely undefended, unquote. This is what Sabotnik just said, specifically with the fact, the sentence where he says, they have found race and racism implicated in a terrifying array of institutions and practices. That doesn't mean that Chris have found evidence of that. <clears throat> what he's saying is that they criticize these institutions and practices as being racist. Remember, in critical race theory, you don't need to prove anything. All you need to do is assert it. Just allege it. This is what Sabakna means, that white people stand accused, but they remain largely undefended. Because if you, if you try to defend them, you're racist. Critical race theory is built, if you remember nothing else that I've said, remember this. Critical race theory is built upon one main presuppositional thesis that is supported by at least three subordinate yet equally important presuppositional theses. Critical race theory is a presuppositional worldview. It's presuppositional. It's built upon unfounded, unprovable presuppositions. What they do again, they resurrect history and re-prosecute history as if it's a reality here today. But there is one main presuppositional thesis upon which critical race theory is built. The main presuppositional thesis of critical race theory is that racism is the normal, common, and everyday experience of all people of color in America. That is the fundamental presupposition upon which critical race, race theory rests. That racism is the normal, common, and everyday experience of all people of color in America. That's why every critical race theory who's a talking head, on, on especially on liberal news channels, they come on these channels with that, that presupposition built into their apologetic. But it's like Dr. Sobotnik said, whites stand accused, and in critical race theory, <clears throat> the only sin is the sin of being white. There's no forgiveness in critical race theory. There's no mercy. There's no atonement. None of that. There can't be, because if there was, there's no payoff for them. So the main presuppositional thesis of critical race theory is that racism is the normal experience of people of color in America. The UCLA School of Public Affairs and Critical Race Studies lays out that thesis in more detail on its website where it says this, quote, 
CRT recognizes that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of the American society. The individual racist need not exist to note that institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant culture. Now, let me stop right here. This is another one of those nonsensical statements that this is it's just stupid. <clears throat> the UCLA School of Public Affairs and Critical Race Studies says that the, they assert in the first sentence that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of America, but then they say the individual racist need not exist. But where do you get the racism from? Where do you get the institutional racism from? Just some big bang, boom, there it is. But this is how these academics talk. They just make absolutely no sense. Continuing the quote from the website, this is the analytical lens that CRT uses in examining existing power structures. CRT identifies that these power structures, by the way, power structures is Marxist vernacular. That's Marxism. CRT identifies that these power structures are based on white privilege and white supremacy, which perpetuates the marginalization of people of color, unquote. Now let's talk about the marginalization of people of color for a second. <clears throat> for the sake of conversation, I don't buy into the phrase people of color. We're all people of color. We all are. You don't need to go Home Depot and get a paint swatch and see, you know, hold it up against. We're all people of color. Acts 17, 26. God made from one man every ethnic group. So we're all just different shades of melanin along the same color spectrum. But let's talk about the marginalization of people of color and how white privilege and white supremacy is to blame for that. I've been held up at gunpoint twice in my life. I've had a gun in my head twice in my life. Each time, it was a young black man who held that gun in my head and robbed me. So I've been marginalized too. But it's always been by people who look like me. I've never had a white person call me nigger. I've never had a white person call me Uncle Tom. I've never had a white person call me coon. I've never had a white person call me sellout. Sambo, Quimbo. But I've been called all those names by people who look like me. By the way, just a bit of unsolicited advice. If you're going to call me Uncle Tom, at least read the book first. <clears throat> if you can read, if you can read, read the book first. Read Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom Cabin, Uncle Tom's Cabin, which I recommend should, right alongside Booker T. Washington's Up From Slavery, should be in every library and every home. Uncle Tom's Cabin is arguably my favorite book. And when you read the book, spoiler alert, you'll find that Uncle Tom is the hero of the story. Uncle, Tom, Uncle Tom's Cabin is actually a book about the gospel. At the end, it will bring you to tears because as Tom is being beaten to death by his owner because he refuses to, to reveal to his owner where these two runaway slave girls have escaped to, Uncle Tom is a Christ-like sacrificial figure who gives his life up in order to save the lives of those two slave girls who run away. And as he's being whipped to death by his owner, he is preaching the gospel to his owner as he's being beaten to death. So if you want to call me an Uncle Tom, please understand that you're paying me the highest compliment ever.
So the UCLA Public Affairs uh, and Critical Race Studies website has embraced this primary presupposition that CRT argues that racism is essentially everywhere and it's an everyday experience of black people. Now, those words accurately frame the main presuppositional, uh, uh, presuppositional thesis of CRT, again, that racism is endemic to every aspect of American life. That's the primary thesis upon which race, critical race theory makes its money in society. Now, I want to quote again from Dr. Daniel Sobotnik from his book, Toxic Diversity, subtitled Race, Gender, and Law Talk in America. Dr. Sobotnik said this, quote, if race is central because racial supremacy is central to American culture, and that's what crits argue, that race is central to American culture. If race is central because racial supremacy is central to American culture, then all features of American culture are presumed tainted. And in such an environment, racism can be presumed and need not be proved. Unquote. I have a PowerPoint version of this same presentation. And in one of the slides of my PowerPoint presentation, I titled it, You Can't Win. That's directed at white people. You can't win. That's what Dr. Sobotnik is saying. In an environment where racism is, is presumed to be pervasive, racism can be presumed and need not be proven. So you can't win. There is no way you can win. Crits have this game set up so well. You can't even defend yourself. So you can't win. Dr. Sobotnik is correct. In such an environment where that presupposition is embraced and adopted, racism would just be presumed. It doesn't need to be proved. This is why people like Robin D'Angelo can write book after book after book. Now, now her latest book, I think, is Nice Racism. And people gobble it up. Again, in critical race theory, the only sin is the sin of being white. And I don't know if you're aware that in the latest iteration of the critical race theory intersectional rubric, rubric or matrix, do you know that Asians are white now? You should go back and listen to our Just Thinking podcast episode. It's titled simply Whiteness. Go back and listen to that episode. In that episode, I argue, I give you a definition of what whiteness is. <clears throat> Let me give you a simple definition of whiteness. Whiteness is anything that's not blackness. So much so that in critical, in critical race theory now, Asians are white. So if you're not black, you're white. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 16, for well, the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Verse 16, here's the key. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Therefore, now we recognize no one according to the flesh. Now, contrary to Paul's exhortation in 2 Corinthians 5, critical race theory recognizes every person according to the flesh. Every person. 
whether it's his or her ethnicity, gender, or preferred pronoun. Critical race theory inherently recognizes every individual according to the flesh, who you are on the outside, or who you say you are on the outside. Now, having given you the main presupposition of critical race theory that racism is essentially everywhere in society, there are at least three supporting presuppositional theses, which are these. So these three theses support the main theses, okay? Thesis. All right. Presuppositional thesis number one is what's called the interest convergence or material determinism thesis. The interest convergence or material determinism thesis. This thesis holds that racism benefits and advances the interests of white people always and only at the expense of black people. This is why at the height of the BLM protest, you would see them, we were in Atlanta at the time, and what they would do, one of the things they did was they just organized this mob of protesters that would just walk along one of the freeways there and just block traffic keeping you from getting home, keeping you from getting to the airport to make your flight. They wanted to disrupt your life in such a way so that you would suddenly pay attention to what matters to them. So when we talk about interest convergence or material determinism, what, they're, what the crit is arguing is that at the intersection that your interests converge with mine, then you'll pay me attention. So I need to inconvenience your life so you'll, in, you'll listen to me. You'll pay attention to what matters to me. That's what interest convergence is. In, interest, conversion, te, interest convergence rather teaches that racism benefits and advances the interests of white people always and only at the expense of black people. The second presuppositional thesis of the three is what's called the social construction thesis. Social construction thesis. This thesis holds that race and races are products of social thought and relations, not fixed or scientific realities. That's the same thing that Karl Marx believed. Karl Marx believed that race was a social construction. This is why the definitions of race, in critical race theory, the definitions of race and racism are always changing. They're always changing. They're never fixed. This is why you can wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to be uh, racist about something else something totally different because it's social, it's dynamic, it changes. Then the third of the three supporting presuppositional theses is what's called the voice of color thesis, the voice of color thesis or the VOC thesis. This thesis holds that ethnic minorities are better suited to talk about systemic oppression and marginalization. So in other words, if you're white, you have no right to say anything because you're the problem. So you just need to shut up and listen. Let the person of color talk. Because you're the problem. You have nothing to say to me. What do you know about oppression? You're white. You know in critical race theory, right? You're white, so you're rich. You're well off. No problems, no bills to pay. No teenager issues. Your life is just smooth sailing. I mentioned during the Q&A, uh, Richard Delgado and Gene Stefansic. They're two of today's most influential critical race theorists. They, in their book, Critical Race Theory and Introduction, which is one of the books I recommended to you, they said this in that book, quote, critical race theory builds on the insights of two previous movements, 
critical legal studies. We talked about that, CLS, critical legal studies, and radical feminism, to both of which it owes a large debt. It also draws from certain European philosophers and theorists, such as Antonio Gramsci, Michel Foucault, and Jacques Derrida, unquote. Now, in saying that, what Delgado and Stefanik don't tell you is that all three of those men, Gramsci, Foucault, and Derrida, were all Marxists. Yet they're crediting them in their book. In fact, Antonio Gramsci is widely regarded today as the godfather of cultural Marxism. In the book, The Devil and Karl Marx, by Dr. Paul Kengor, Kengor is professor of political science at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. In that book, he makes the following assessment of today's culture against the backdrop of Marxism in the chapter titled Fundamental Transformation. Where have we heard those words before? In that book, Ken, Ken Gore writes this, and he nails it. Please listen closely. Kinger says, quote, In a crucial respect, classical Marxism and cultural Marxism will always bear an essential enduring commonality, one that explains a lot about today's modern left. Both classical Marxists and cultural Marxists see history as a series of struggles that divide the world into hostile-slash-antagonistic groups of oppressors and the oppressed, both seek out victim groups as the anointed group that will also serve as society's redeemer group. The victim group becomes the anointed group, I'm sorry, the victim group becomes the agent for emancipation and ushering in the new and better world. See, I told you earlier that critical race theory is eschatological. It says the victim group becomes the agent for emancipation and ushering in the new and better world. The Marxist must always then be on the search for the newest victim class, which in turn must always be made aware of its victimization. Its consciousness, quote unquote, must be raised. In classical Marxism, this was simple. The victim group was identified by class economics. It was the proletariat. It was the factory worker. In cultural Marxism, this has not been so simple because the culture is always changing. The victim group is constantly being searched for anew by the cultural Marxists. They are looking less for factory workers than cultural workers. Forget the factory floor. That project failed long ago. The new recruiting ground is the classroom floor, the campus, the university, the schools. That is where the cultural workers who can usher in the fundamental transformation are being sought and being found. These modern cultural revolutionaries are succeeding magnificently in redefining everything from marriage to family to sexuality and gender. This is where today's Marxists in America and the West are toiling hard. They are working diligently on the cultural front. That is where they are confident that they can finally take down the West and its Judeo-Christian bedrock that Marx and a long line of disciples looked to smash. Unquote. Now, if you want to know why you need to be paying attention to critical race theory, you just heard me read it. Because these cultural Marxists are doing battle on the cultural front. And ground zero of that front is the schools. And I, I challenge you today and encourage you to prayerfully consider, if you have children in the public school system, pray that God will make a way for you to pull them out. 
Your children's minds are the targets of these cultural Marxists. And they play to win. They play to win. Now, critical race theory is unbiblical for at least these five following reasons. I'm going to close here shortly. These are at least five reasons why critical race theory is unbiblical. Number one, critical race theory is unbiblical because it categorizes image bearers of God into groups for the purpose of causing division and antagonistic class struggle. I quote it directly from Critz, who say that that's their objective. CRT categorizes image bearers of God into groups solely for the purpose of causing division and antagonistic class struggle. Number two, CRT is unbiblical because it imparts sinful motives to certain of God's image bearers solely on the basis of the color of their skin. Number three, CRT transfers the guilt of presumed sins of those from past generations to those of present generations. And if you heard my message this morning, that's what I refer to as sin by proxy. You're guilty by proxy. So CRT transfers presumed guilt of your ancestors onto you simply because you're white. Number four, CRT is rooted in the sin of ethnic partiality. And then lastly, number five, CRT promotes materialistic covetousness and envy under the false pretense of justice and equity. So those are at least five reasons why critical race theory is unbiblical. Now, there's much more about critical race theory that I wanted to share with you today. But in the interest of time, I'm going to close here with what I believe is the fundamental question we should we must consider as Christians. And that question is, is critical race theory compatible with Christianity? Now, I want to answer that question by quoting a passage from an article titled Christianity or Critical Theory, written by Dr. Eric B. Watkins. Dr. Watkins is senior pastor of Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church in San Marcos, California. And the article from which I'm about to quote is published in the October 2021 issue of Table Talk magazine. If any of you read Table Talk, which is published by Ligonier Ministries, you may want to get a copy of that. You can go online at tabletalkmagazine.com and read that. But in the article, Christianity or Critical Theory, Dr. Watkins says this, quote, Is critical theory's worldview compatible with Christianity? This is an important question. While it may be possible to find Christians who endorse critical theory, it is nearly impossible to find critical theorists who endorse Christianity. This is because Christianity is an overarching system of thought that seeks to define reality and posits objective moral values. According to critical theory, Christianity fosters unsafe ideologies and institutions that perpetuate anti-scientific thought, intolerance for certain sexual behaviors, parochialism, patriarchy, and a punishing authoritarianism for any who do not conform. Pre-Enlightenment Christianity is seen as stuck in the dark ages of intellectual barbarism, and the the post-Enlightenment church is viewed as perpetuating colonialism, racism, sexism, chauvinism, and homophobia. Critical theory is critical of virtually all worldviews, including Christianity. 
Its goal is human anatomy. I'm sorry. Its goal is human autonomy from any objective authority whatsoever. Unquote. So contrary to what many Marxist crits and black liberation theologians will have you believe, critical race theory is not merely some innocuous, innocent way of promoting anti-racism or of teaching people about the history of racism in America or of understanding how the power dynamics of white supremacy have operated in this nation. Now, I mentioned during the Q&A that I had a mic drop quote to share with you about what the goal of critical race theory essentially is. And here it is. This is from a public school edu educator by the name of Teresa Montano. Teresa Montano heads up a group, an organization known as Liberated Ethnic Studies. Speaking of ethnic studies, if you have students in a public schools, in a public school, or know of parents who have children in public school at any level that has an ethnic studies program, please know that ethnic studies is just a Trojan horse to teach critical race theory. See, I said earlier that critical race theory is a stealth, camouflage worldview. No critical race theorist who teaches in public school is going to tell you, yeah, we teach critical race theory here. They're not going to tell you that. They're going to disguise it, and they're going to camouflage it under ethnic studies, under SEL, which is social-emotional learning, and they're also trying to rebrand the initial CRT to call it culturally responsive training. This is why you got to pay attention to the language, people. you got to pay attention. They're not going to tell you, yeah, we teach critical race theory to your kindergarten. No. you got to know what to look for. And ethnic studies is a primary Trojan horse by which they're introducing critical race theory to your children, especially at the high school level. Listen to what Teresa Montano says. Again, she heads up an organization called Liberated Ethnic Studies. Quote, you want to know what the payoff is for critical race theory in public school? Here it is. Quote, ethnic studies is more than pedagogy and content. Ethnic studies is about creating change in the community. And what you will see in the lessons that follow are how classroom teachers begin to use critical race theory connected to ethnic studies in a way to empower and to create social justice activists out of our students, unquote. That's why critical race theory wants to get into your classrooms. The goal is not to educate your children, it's to create social justice activists out of them. She says it in her own words. They use critical, they use ethnic studies as a, as, as, as a sort of a trap door to teach critical race theory and create out of your students social justice activists. They're not going to tell you it's critical race theory. That's the bottom line. 
Critical race theory is the most dangerous worldview I've, I've encountered in my lifetime. There is nothing innocuous or innocent about critical race theory. Critical race theory is an all-encompassing worldview, one that is steeped in cultural Marxism and that shares the same teleological ends as that which I quoted earlier from Dr. Paul Kengor, namely the takedown of the West and its Judeo-Christian bedrock. Never forget that. Thank you all very much.